Cool. Good morning, church. Good morning, everyone. It's been a very rich, good time already, eh? Uh, morning to those in the overflow, if we have overflow, and morning to those um, on YouTube, if you are watching this morning or afternoon or evening. Um, hey, just a quick story to start off with. How cool were those act stories as well, just lives being changed? Um, we do these uh, welcome cards um, for youth, uh, every single youth camp we do. Uh, so they all get a welcome card, and we try and, as leaders, we write a prophetic message in these cards. So every single young person arrives and has a welcome and hopefully something from God. And um, I, I was doing one about three years ago. We've done it since I've, I've arrived. And um, I just got this word about Skittles. And it was for this fellow. I didn't know him at all. Like, I think I'd met him once before. And so I just wrote about how I feel like God is saying, um, come and taste and see that I'm good. Taste the rainbow, to use the marketing logo, uh, slogan even. And I, I was a bit kind of unsure. Is that Seb or is that kind of a, you know, a God thing? And I, you know, just cracked on and, and put it in. Um, found out the other day that this guy absolutely loves Skittles. Like, absolutely loves them and is known to just be carrying them around all the time. And we're just like, wow, God is so good. And not only that, but we don't actually often, well, sometimes we don't see the fruit immediately, eh? Sometimes we do, but... I just thought that's such a good story. He really cares. He's really good. Alrighty, thanks, Robert. Uh, cool. Let's uh, chuck the clip up, please. Awesome. Okay, so <laughs> poetry. You, you've got to approach poetry in the right way. I mean, that's from Trigger Happy TV, absolute gold back in the 90s, uh, the good old days. Um, but yeah, when we're approaching poetry, we've got to think about what are we doing? And we're getting into a psalm today. And we could talk about, um, well, gosh, we could talk about context is king, which is always important, any passage of scripture. We could talk about finding the king on each page, um, on e each psalm, and that is very true and very needed in terms of Jesus. We could talk about the genre and that they are poems to be sung. Um, but there's one bit of context which we're going to dive into immediately. Um, and if we could have the next slide, please. We've got a pink elephant in the room. We've got a slightly aggressive pink elephant in the room because uh, the bit of context I want us to consider at the moment is... Um, oh, hello. I'm all tangled. Um, is the fact that Psalm 5, which we're going to take a look at today, is the first psalm which has prayers for the downfall of our enemies. 
or the psalm, the psalm writer's enemies, which is David. And that's quite a big one we're going to get into. Um, and some may say that this is an area where um, the New Testament supersedes the Old Testament. And by that, that's fancy language to say that the ethics of the New Testament, we're kind of a bit better. You know, the Old Testament, they're just a bit rough. You know, they're, they're a bit backward. But we're in the New Testament now, and we've, we've got it all sorted. So we kind of read it differently. Um, or some might say, actually, when we're coming to these, these verses of intense like expression and emotion by the, the writer of the psalm, like David in this case, that we, we pray these verses um, in regards to spiritual warfare. You know, where, where you can just tell that you're really coming up against some, some stuff from the enemy, some evil stuff, and you're just praying those verses through. And that's definitely legit. I think there's, there's truth in both of those points. Absolutely. Um, however, it doesn't fully cut the mustard in that there's, there's moments in the New Testament where the authors actually present themselves as heirs of the Old Testament ethics. They're, they're, they're showing a connection with this ethical viewpoint. And not only that, but some of these New Testament authors even engage with some of these scriptures. They quote them. They use them. So they haven't actually just parked them and said, nah, that's a bit Old Testament. You know, that there is this real connection um, between old and new. Which then leaves us um, with thinking, well, heck, how do we get into them then? How do we handle these, these what appear to be very challenging um, verses, and they can be challenging? Right, four guiding principles then. And, we, and it's really important to do case by case with each psalm too, but this is not the, the, just the, the golden bullet, get these four and you're all sorted, but these are just four pretty good weighty points um, to bear in mind. Okay, number one. People were not deemed as enemies for trivial things. And just with these four guiding points, this is going to be quite deep for the next five minutes, so hang on in there. It'll be worth it. These, these points are really helpful. People were not labeled as enemies for trivial things. And I think back to uh, Jews and facing the oppression from Nazi Germany. I think of the Uyghur people in, in China right now. And I don't think they would struggle with some of these verses as much as us. And I think it's very um, easy to start viewing these verses from the comfort of our Western armchairs. And I think we almost need to sit up and kind of step up, actually, and and get out of the armchairs, in a way. Um, It's a bit like, you know, a bit like, but not like, when watching the All Blacks, you know, we can start coaching from the armchair, can't we? We can start saying, oh, why is Geordie Barrett still on the pitch, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Bring on more Crusaders players, and we can start thinking, you know, but actually, we, we weren't there in training. You know, and we, we've got to really immerse ourselves in, in these scriptures and really understand what's going on. Okay, number two. Personal vengeance um, is actually strictly prohibited in the Old and New Testament. So what's going on in some of these verses then? Well, I think first of all, it's really important to note that there is some real moral like indignation. There is, there is some deep expression going on about injustice. But there is an acute difference between um, engaging with a person one-to-one and and cursing them and and getting gnarly in that way and actually pouring all of the feelings and the desperation you have towards God and calling out on a holy, pure, loving, just God to have his way. And And in the Psalms, we see this. It is a real direct engagement with God. It is not this, this kind of one-to-one cursing, and that's a really important acute difference. Number three, um, this is poetic language. Um, we do not have simple 
poems of reading five million to an unplugged audience, um, or an unplugged setting even to an audience. Uh, I, there was a quote which I really liked uh, by a guy called Christopher Ashe who's written on the Psalms, and he says that there is a preference for the non-literal over the literal. At which point some of us might think, oh, for goodness sake, stop playing hard to get, and you know, what, what do you want to say? <laughs> but actually, there, there's something about poetry and, and poetic language where you, you're invited to go deep. You're invited to wrestle with the text. Um, there is a real searching that goes on, and layers of meaning often, and richness that comes from that. I also find it incredibly encouraging that we have a God who is infinite in his love and knowledge and, and goodness, that there is so much depth to go, as well as anyone being able to engage with him. You know, you don't need to be an academic. And then, as with all scripture, this is pointing to Jesus. This is pointing to Jesus. I think the, the Psalms, and it's been said often, are a real insight into the prayer life of Jesus. He was fully human, fully God, walking the earth. And there has only ever been one person on earth whose enemies are exactly the same as God's. And that's Jesus. The only man who can be entrusted with delivering the judgment of God on sinners is the one who dies for sinners. Now, at this point, society is calling out hate speech and wanting to cancel me, so we're going to press on. Uh, thank you. Here's the thing. God is good. He is so, so good. We've seen that throughout the service that he is, ah, oh, man, just even what Miriam picked up on, you're not alone. His heart is one of comfort. His heart is one of sweeping up. His heart is one of love. His judgment is good too. His judgment is good too. Now that is a sobering statement. And when I first heard that, I needed a strong cup of Earl Grey afterwards and needed to really think and chew on that. But just digging deep into that in his judgment, which is a reflection of the fact that... Um, for, for those who are in Jesus, he sees us, he loves us, he loves everyone, but he sees us as sons and daughters, and we are reconciled to him. Um, but there is judgment coming in regards to heaven and hell. But with that, there's this verse in Isaiah 28, verse 21, where um, God's judgment to his people, actually, in that moment, in that story, in that narrative, is called his, his strange work, his alien work. And I think this is really interesting because God is slow to anger, but rich in love. Now, God doesn't need to be provoked to love. Um, so take a human example. In, in the office here, um, Murdo, shout out to you, mate, is an absolute legend. Oh, I love that man's bits. Love you to bits, Murdo. Um, and Murdo loves so well those who are around him. Murdo loves us in the office. Murdo loves the NHT staff. Like, all of us just... He is a real um, force that is, is gluing us together in community. And Murdo's love really provokes others to love. You know when you're getting loved on and you just feel that kindness? It draws out that warmth in you. and Things just come alive. God doesn't need to be provoked to love. He is so rich in his love. But he does need to be provoked to anger. As in, it's not his natural way. His strange work is... is is that anger, his, his heart, and we see this again and again in scriptures, come to me, come to me. Yes, I care about sin. Yes, I'm holy and pure, and I care about justice, and praise God that he cares about justice. But come to me, come to me. Boy, does he love us. 
Okay, well done. In a non-patronizing way, that was quite deep. But I just, I don't want to be someone or a, a church that like, skirts around the tough passages in Scripture. Um, and we're just going to be looking at verses 1 to 3 today in Psalm 5. But let's, um, let's read it. And we're going to be following the text closer than a fasting Labrador to the scent of bacon. So we're really going to get into it. So let's get into Psalm 5. It should be on the screens. Brilliant. Thank you. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels, because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out. They have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy, and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Okay, so Psalm 5, the first psalm where there is actually that, that prayer for the downfall of enemies. Um, and it is raw. This is a raw psalm. David is, is not in a good place at this time. And we'll unpack that in a moment. But let's, let's just unpack the, these, these three verses. And so in Psalm 1 and, uh, psalm one and 2, in verses 1 and 2, we have the, this, these phrases, this, this repetition going on of, Give ear, God. Consider. Give attention. And I was reminded of um, The Hound of the Baskervilles, written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, Sherlock Holmes' short story. Um, sadly, my copies are in England, which is probably one of the more English things you're going to hear me say. Um, but I, I remember in that story, they're seeing footprints. Oh, lamb's on the loose. Uh, they're seeing footprints in, um, in where there's been a murder. And what's strange is that Watson and I, another character are saying, why, why was the person on tiptoes? Because they see these half-formed footprints. And they're really puzzled about that. Was he trying to sneak away from his assailant? And then Holmes comes in and says, he was running for his life. He was running with desperation so much that the full soles of his feet were not even touching the ground. And it's such a picture, and I, I really resonate with that in looking at these opening few verses of David is crying out from the depths of his being. He is desperate. He's groaning. Notice the, the short, punchy sentence structure. Is it possible to get verse 1 and 2 up? That'd be awesome. Cheers, guys. He's straight to the point. And what's interesting with this is um, David's asking God to listen. And yet David in Psalm 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He even uses the word cry. And I think sometimes, like David, um, I definitely can, can find myself in this place. I'm, I'm not actually fully sure deep down that God is listening. 
you know, I can have those root doubts or beliefs, and I think that's human, right? And it's so important to realize when, when they are there, to identify it. Sometimes we're not even fully aware of it. Yet when God's people cry out to him, he responds and he cares, and he always responds. Not necessarily in our timing or in our ways, but he always does. And I think sometimes we don't know how much we need to declare a truth like that, that he listens until we say it out loud. Our words are so powerful, aren't they? I think that's one of the reasons I love the Psalms is that it's an expression to God. It's getting the words going. When God um, created the heavens and the earth, he spoke. Words, 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 words from Genesis right the way through to Revelation are super important and the enemy will try and snatch our words. He'll try and shut them down because he knows that they can carry life. Words, 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 words. Cry out to God, expression. And as we cry out, and, and even maybe as the doubts come up, but you're God. But you're not going to leave me alone. Cool. Verses 1 and 2 again. My words, my groaning, my cry. David is asking God to fully hear his words. This is right from the depths of his very being. And, and just a note, when we see this kind of distress signal at the beginning of a psalm, um, this, to put it mildly in, in some psalms, often at the end or, or throughout the psalm, there is a, a response. There is something that we can really look to and resonate. If we're resonating with the distress signal at the start, we can, we can see the response and really mold our response around that too. David was on the defensive. He was anointed king and then chased by Saul. It was, it was grim. Like he was really having to run for his life. David knew what it was like to cry out to God from desperation for breakthrough on the defensive. But David also knew um, what it was like to call out to the Lord whilst going on the offensive. David was eventually building towards ruling and reigning in, in Israel. Now, a silly example, I love paintballing. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. I froth over it. And it's almost worrying how much I love it. And I literally, like in between games, I'll just be going, ah, oh, that's good. I remember I was with my flatmates recently, and we did it, and my mate just turned around, he's like, you are weird. Um, but I love it, and I think sometimes there's moments where, you know, you just got to hunker down, you're like, oh, I'm getting cornered, and the paintballs are coming left, right, and center. And, but there's also other times where you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep going. Um, it's a silly example, but I think it's such a visually important one um, as we kind of dodge the pain of those pellets. Um, that with crying out to the Lord, it is a defensive thing, like coming like, gosh, Lord, I am, oh, I'm crying out to you from what I'm facing. But there is also going on the offensive. I'm crying out to you for this breakthrough. I'm crying out to you for this person. I know who you are, Lord. I see what's happening over there, but I, I know who you are, and I'm crying out to you, knowing that you are faithful and good and care more than I care, which is so encouraging. Um, Sophie and I went to Anna's place um, the other day, and um, I loved what you, yeah, that look of, where's, where's he going with this? Um, I love uh, what you've got on the walls, mate, and Anna's just got frames and stuff on the walls, and it really paints a story of who Anna is, but there is that theme of justice coming through, which we know is big on Anna's heart, and I loved it, because I just loved watching all of them, and looking at all of them, and taking it in, and it was such an example of 
here is someone who knows what it's like to cry out for others. Who knows what it's like to cry out for others. And I know there's plenty of that that goes on in this church family. Who is our heart longing to cry out for? Who is our heart longing to cry out for? And for those of you who are like, boy, I've been crying out to the Lord since before you were born. Um, <laughs> bless you. Honestly, like those who are really persisting and like feel like I've been crying out for so long. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you with refreshment. I bless you with encouragement. I think for me, um, I, I asked God a couple of years ago, teach me what it means to cry out to you. The most naive prayer I have ever prayed in my life. <laughs> oh, gosh. But I, I don't take it back. And I've just been on a journey of like praying for the young people um, we know and in our city and also at the schools I'm in at Stack and Pap. And I, I can just feel it in my bones. And I don't even, I know there's so much more I need to go and I know there's still millennial flakiness in me. But I don't even know how to handle it sometimes. I really don't. But I, I want to live a life of seeing the kingdom of God break out. Knowing that I'm a beloved son and daughter. I don't want to strive, which sometimes I get caught up striving. Yeah. Who is our heart longing to cry out for? Okay, cool. Verse 2, my God and my king. Repetition is such a simple, easy thing to spot in a psalm. If you're really looking to get in, you're like, I'm no academic. Just, just look for things repeated. It's a really helpful thing. We've got my, the word my, six times in verses one to three. And four of those, four, are about my crying out, my groaning, my, my feelings, my anguish is probably a really helpful word. But there's two in there, my God and my king. My king and my God. As much as the deepest groanings of our heart are ours, so much more is Jesus to us. So much more is he ours. As close as the tears are on our cheeks, so much more is the Holy Spirit closer to us. So much more is he ours. As the aching of your heart is yours, so much more is the aching of the Father's heart in love for you and me and for others. Every word is dripping with intimacy. I've talked a lot about the desperation, but that word intimacy, every word is, is dripping with intimacy in this psalm. Every single word is dripping with it. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy with the God of the universe. Verse 2, for, for, to you do I pray. And he's really kind of, David is really starting to look at God. And my first thought with this was, well, as opposed to who, David? Now, I'm not very good with plugs. Um, when we had physics at school, um, we got given a box of plugs and said, right, 10, 15 minutes, take them apart, put them back together again. So I thought, right. I'll make sure the teacher's back is to me for 10, 15 minutes, mess around, and then at the end of 15, say, hey, sir, is this right? I, I think I've got it back together again. Wasn't a Christian at that point. Don't give me those looks. Um, and I did that, which is cool, because I got 10, 15 minutes to chill, but I don't know anything about plugs, which is really frustrating. But anyway, there we go. With our emotions, with like, for to you do I pray. We can sometimes have these, these feelings, but it can take a while to actually plug them in in prayer, right? I find that. Like, often they can just reach a dead end. I can go around in circles in my mind or my feelings. But this encouragement, I think, from the, this verse is, for to you do I pray, is taking those feelings, taking those, those, those thoughts and 
following every impulse to pray and creating those impulses of plugging into God, plugging into God. Hmm. And I think with that, we remember who he is and we remember who we are. I um, sometimes find myself praying on autopilot on the way to PAP or Stack, and um, I, I had this moment, um, I think it was earlier this year, where I was, I was praying to God and, and talking to him and asking for him to do stuff, and then I just suddenly stopped. I was just frenetic. I suddenly just stopped, sat back in, in the driver's seat and just smiled, because then I was just choosing to remember that I'm loved. I'm going in with my dad. And it just changed everything. So I think with to you do I pray. It's not just praying to God, but it's knowing whose we are, knowing who he is. Verse 3. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. I was, I was really interested by this. What, what does he mean in the morning you hear my voice? Um, does he mean that when it's all quiet in the morning, Steve, um, Ruby, and Sophie and I were talking about this last night. Um, when the morning's quiet, you know, no one's around and just enjoying that stillness. Or is he talking about those moments when you wake up and remember what the day holds out of a place of kind of like that nervousness or, or the things weighing on your heart? Or you've been in such distress that you've barely slept. So I, I'm, David is in deep distress in this moment. And you wake up with little sleep and unresolved restlessness. Or you've not slept at all and you don't just have these feelings, but you can just feel it in your very body, your bones. I think either way, the Lord knows intimately. When no one else is around, the Lord knows intimately. Verse 3, again, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. Or some of your Bibles will say, um, I direct my prayer to you. I used to, um, well, I've been doing accountability um, and just doing life together with um, fellow kind of Christian brothers for 10 years now, and those people have changed over the years, but always doing accountability, all cards on the table, celebrating the good stuff, no question is off limits, um, we'll talk about anything, we'll talk about, you know, how's, your, how's it going with life, work, um, jeepers back in the day, porn, all that sort of stuff, just going hard, and I used to meet up with a guy called well, two guys called Paco and Alex. And um, Paco's this lovely Spanish guy with a West Country accent, which is very amusing. Um, and he would turn up in his car and, and playing this kind of traditional Spanish music. Alex is sort of one of these guys who wakes up in the morning, has just got a great smile on his face and thinks the world's great. Um, and I used to hate mornings. I used to think they were stink. I used to think mornings are part of the fall. So I would come into the car and... Um, Paco said I was the cheese grater and Alex was the cheese, um, which I think was a pretty fair um, thing to say. Anyway, I love mornings now, and the Lord's worked on my softness of heart, which is great and very encouraging. Still work to do. But anyway, the point is, those who struggle with the morning and are reading this, I resonate. I resonate with you. This is probably quite hard to get your head around and click with, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> There's something about the beginning of the day, isn't there, in what it represents, not just what it feels like, but it is the beginning of a new day, like the beginning of a new project. And there's something about committing things to God, first thing. Seeking him out, asking him, partnering with him, remembering he's God, remembering it's his mission, getting our comfort from him. Verse 3. 
and watch. That word probably intrigued me more than any other word of this whole psalm, watch. Attentive, expectant, maybe desperate, confident, maybe both. Patiently, gosh, yeah. Watching needs a lot of patience. At school, um, I used to recognize my dad's headlights when he was coming along the road to pick me up. He had these kind of like almost bluey white headlights, which were quite distinctive at the time, which was super helpful. I mean, who's, uh, who's got in someone else's car accidentally when they were being picked up from school? Was there, yes, Caleb. <laughs> I got so close. I got to the door and then, oh, okay, keep walking. Anyway, it was super helpful. Um, and my dad is very consistent. He's quick-witted, um, very organized with admin. He's got a soft heart, and he's worryingly way more trendy than I'll ever be, and everyone notices it. Um, but anyway, the, besides the point, Mum also thought he was um, a spy when they first met, because he's just really onto it. Um, he sent me a message or told me the other day, oh, by the way, a present for Sophie's in the post uh, for her birthday. And I was like, how do you know when her birthday is? Like, I think I probably mentioned it at some point ages ago, and he's just scrawled the information away. And he's, he's really onto it. So anyway, I would wait for, for Dad to pick me up, and I would say there's a high level of expectation that he would turn up. Um, and sure, you're nattering away to your mates, you know, but you're watching and waiting, right? And whilst like, the actual practical point of being picked up from school is quite important, you know, there's a practical element here, at the same time, I think the more pertinent question was, who was I waiting for? What was David watching? The sacrifice? Was he fixating on his actions? Did he have that moment where the eyes just got glazed as the tiredness was there and you're just kind of half staring at the fire? Or What was he watching? Or was he scanning for immediate signs of breakthrough and the presence of God breaking out? Or is he talking about having that posture of waiting for the rest of the day? As we watch for very practical breakthrough that we want, which is good, let's not forget who we're watching for. Doing so has a significant effect on how we view what we're waiting for. If the band would like to come up, if you're coming up. Sweet, cool. Um, yeah, that's, that's us coming into land, guys. I mean, it's quite a meaty, meaty thing we've looked at today. We've looked at violent vengeance. We've looked at what's going on in one to three. It's been quite wordy. Um, and there's a lot there, a lot to unpack. I think it's interesting that um, Gary and Paul brought us a word recently, and there was, there was this sense of there's more. Two guys coming in and praying for us and listening to God, and their, their heart was there's more. There's more. Not in a strivey way, not in a way of earning more love, but just the waters going deeper getting more refreshed, getting more free, knowing his love more, knowing we're sons and daughters more. And sure, there's a lot of crying out going on here, but a lot of crying out going on to my king and my God. Intimacy. Comfort. As Miriam said, we're not alone. I think it's quite a few of us who needed to hear that this morning, me included. Who are we crying out for? 
How are our hearts in the midst of crying out for those, particularly where we've been doing it for years? Father, I just um, ask that you would stir up whatever you want to stir in us. Father, I um, ask that you would refresh us and encourage us, please, God. I ask that you would build hope in us and excitement, knowing that you always hear and listen. And thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, God. Thank you that you're the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, and light in the darkness. Mm-hmm.